As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'ma roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new addition, filling positions. Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working, open curtains, haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version. Whoa. I'm never gon' give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah. You're listening to the Tom Fickler Show on WNHHLP 103.5 SM, your home for community radio. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, wherever you might be on the, the galaxy at the moment. And just take real self-care wherever you, you might be on whatever planet or whatever, whatever spiritual you might think you're, you're uh, revolving on or, or in. Uh, this morning, I had the, really the pleasure of, of uh, chatting for another 40 minutes or so with Dr. Dwayne Smith interim president at Southern Connecticut State University. Uh, Dr. Smith, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. I'm a little embarrassed to do the show. We've been doing our show since 2015, but I was researching and saw that you've been uh, interviewed by Ramon Peralta and Ramon was on the show uh, maybe three or four years ago and Gigi and her and her her buddy, uh, you kind of talked to her, but more importantly, while you were at Housatonic Community College, you uh, were a host. So you've been, you've been, you, you've, you've sat in both seats uh, for a while and understand the power of communication. So I, yes. I really don't, don't have any questions to, to ask you that you have not been, that have not been posed before. And more importantly, that you have not answered. I mean, I, I watched your, 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 your talk on, on educational leadership, et cetera. And, and your family background. So I want to kind of just uh, take a deep breath today. I mean, we will talk about the transformative power of education and obviously Southern's role, significant yes. role in the region, uh, as well as, uh, oh, the New York Times even talked about the, the value of education. But I wanted to kind of just set, set up a psychic moment. And as we uh, give you a chance to kind of have the mic, things might come across your mind that you have not had a chance to say to folks in the past, or things might have crossed your mind this morning that you like to uh, like to share. So I want to kind of keep it keep it open if we can as well, sure. and not just uh, not just rely on a script. Uh, let, let's start off. Let's start start off if we can. I mean, folks can kind of Google your background. You don't do not become interim president of a university without a significant educational background. You're at Housatonic College. You're in the Midwest, and they can Google Google that. I don't want to spend too much time on, on that. Obviously, you have your, your doctorate. Uh, and just to kind of be, again, folks, interim president, Southern Connecticut State University, uh, was in Housatonic, was leadership for Housatonic Community College, and who knows where his future might lead. But, 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 but yeah. the, the transformative power of education, uh, that, that was kind of brought to my attention, and you've spoken about that. And I want to throw not a challenging question to you, or perhaps you might perceive it to be, but if you could talk about the transformative power of education, and here's the hook. For my mind, um, and I hope you'll allow you won't be mad at me for posing this question. In my no. mind, what, what is going on in the Middle East is perhaps the most current sterling example of the failure of education. What's occurring in the Middle East at the moment might be an indication of the let's say the challenges of education. Wonder if that kind of resonates with you at all uh, in terms of uh, the, the question. Time. First of all, I want to thank you for having me on your show and being able to dialogue. Uh, this I count it as a great opportunity. Um, I'm not sure uh, what's meant by a failure of education, but I, I want to go back. You know, when I started school, uh, 
45 years ago as an undergraduate, it was a midst of the uh, MC takeover in Iran. Mm. And there was turmoil in the Middle East. And some would say that that was, among other things, you know, Jimmy Carter lost the election. And of course, Ronald Reagan became president. Then the Iranian hostages were released. And I'm not sure if you remember that was days. They would, they would have a like a, a, a ticker tape, like 100 days, that sort of thing. But I remember on our campus, there was turmoil, you know, as a, a African-American uh, first-year student on a predominantly white campus. Not only were there these anti-Iranian protests and pro-Iranian uh, protests, mainly anti, we were doing boycott. <laughs> it was boycott because the homecoming process was. So there was always this, 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 this not turmoil, but this unrest. Mm-hmm. If you look historically, even through the civil rights movement, a lot of the unrest they they were uh, begun by young people. Yes, you know, think about the sit-in protests. You know, yes. there was those young people, and then as I never left the college campus from the time of my first year in 1979, so I was hired right out of the college, and so it was a time through. Um, I remember the apartheid process, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This, this rise of student activism. Mm-hmm. At my campus, they took over the administration building. We didn't have any funds invested in South Africa, but that was a movement. So my point is, is that this is a process that happens, you know, and young people usually lead movements until they are uh, older people, you know. And, so, or, assassin- uh, and or assassinated. Mm-hmm. Well, most of them, see, here's the thing, you know, most people are not assassinated. They either kind of embed themselves in the establishment. So, um, like, all those individuals in the 50s and the 60s, uh, uh, a multicultural coalition Mm -hmm. that fought for equalities, they're now uh, in their late 70s, 80s, or some 90s, you know? Mm -hmm. Some kind of stayed with the the process, and some... uh, went on and became part of the establishment. So the point for me is that this is just a snapshot in time. Uh, it is um, horrific that what's happening, I think on college campuses, there's always been a response to the world events. That's, that's Indeed, occurring. indeed, indeed. And, and I really appreciate your mentioning, mentioning the, 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 the need for, for SNCC and for, uh, you, know, you know, you didn't mention SNCC by name, uh, yeah. but, but, but SNCC and also the, the the anti the Vietnam War might not have ended when it did if it wasn't for the the, the significant student protest on, on campuses. So I really not to mention the establishment of Black Studies programs and African American centers. Uh, so let me jump and so let me jump if I can and I, I appreciate your your being transparent with me about opportunities at Southern as we speak for, to grapple with this current Mideast crisis. I, I share with folks that I asked them who was Ralph Munch and, and you know people then forget that he won the the uh, Nobel Peace Prize for the, the night, trying to resolve the 1948 crisis. And I asked him about uh, Andy Young. And did you do you know he was United Nations ambassador? And why did he have to resign? And I had to remind them that he met with Arafat and un- unofficially and had to resign. And then I, when you mentioned Jimmy Carter, I kind of remind people about the books that Jimmy Carter wrote about apartheid in, in the Middle East. So I really appreciate your mentioning that. But on from the college campus today, are there things that you might be able to, uh, can, can Southern... How can the students perhaps understand their historical moment in time on Southern as we speak? I would just say the first thing is to uh, that uh, discourse is welcome. You know mm-hmm. that's 
really what builds a, a stronger foundation uh, for our country and for our communities. Again, if you think historically, who led various movements, it were they were young people. Yes. Uh, you think about uh, uh, Martin Luther King, Dr. King, and the Montgomery uh, bus uh, boycotts. Indeed. He was in his mid twenties. Yes. When he did that, and so it wasn't really something that was led by the I want to say the established the establishment. It was always young people uh, uh, pushing and moving. Uh, for whatever the cause it was. Mm -hmm. So so one point you bring up that I think is interesting to note uh, that uh, in the past, people had a historical context of things. So they kind of operated from that perspective opposed to today is a new day, but this is a continuation. So part of our role is really to provide discourse, but also historical context, mm. why things are, you know, and I think that helps, helps the situation. I'm going to go back to, uh, I think it was, what, 2014? Mm -hmm. uh, and I was in St. Louis, Missouri. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Working with Michael Brown. Mm -hmm. that, Bring that, it. That happened. Yeah, and uh, so, I mean, it was, St. Louis was a totally different place. I mean, the world converged upon St. Louis. And I would say that was really the birthplace of the modern-day contemporary social justice movement. Sure, you know, sure, sure. Black Black Lives Lives Matter. Matter. Yeah. The, the genesis of Black Lives Matter started there. That's right. And so what I remember, um, uh, that MLK, I think it was maybe 2015, uh, there was this a nationwide call to disrupt MLK programs. So at our school, we had, the, I think we had the second largest MLK celebration uh, other than Atlanta. Hmm. But then we had this other smaller, our, our school was this kind of the centerpiece for all types of activism, you know? Mm -hmm. So this particular uh, program, it wasn't the major one, but it was a program where they they honored uh, all the the leaders of St. Louis. That, that these are people who were part of the boycotts, the sit-ins. These people who were arrested, beat, yes. and they were like in their seventies, eighties, and some were close to ninety. And so the goal was uh, nationwide to disrupt these MLK. So I remember being there, and all of a sudden I, heard, I was behind stage, and I remember hearing all this noise, right. And so these young people came in to disrupt it, screaming, yelling. And I remember this one woman, she had to be in her 80s. She was frightened out of her wits. And this, this, this young man yells at her and said, where were you? Or something like that. We've been out here for months. And I, and I caught the irony of it, that these people, these elders had been out there for decades. Mm, mm -hmm. And they thought the third three months would equate because they didn't know. Mm -hmm. And what mm -hmm. they were doing, they were taking selfies and posted it. You know, I wouldn't say it was performative, but what happens is it, they terrorized their elders because mm. they didn't know, mm. you know, and I had to speak on that. And so it's important for us to have discourse, to have protests, but we also have to have a, um, um, a, uh, 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 at a college campus, an uh, intellectual Discussion. For sure, so for, at, for sure. At Southern, let me say, and I think so. Southern, our DNI uh, division is developing those types of discussions. You know, indeed. Teaching. Yeah, and so that's part of our response, our responsibility as an institution. And, and historically, you guys have had the uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but your your social justice equity week. I mean, or a month in the past, you've had a, a number of events uh, focusing just on social justice and equity. And, and here's the thing. 
it's embedded in what we do. So it is, there's not a, no, we do the celebratory months, Black History Month, Women History, all this stuff. But it has to be embedded in what mm. we do mm. throughout the year. And that's the thing that I feel most proud of is Good. that this is in the forefront of what we do. It's, it's, it's not performative, you know, and, and that's not to be critiquing or criticizing any other organization or institution. But this is what we do. We 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 do the hard work, you know. Mm. We we deal with the hard challenges as as an institution, and I believe that it makes the community stronger, and it also helps to develop leaders. Indeed, indeed. You know, and that, that kind of and I really appreciate your your comments. That kind of connects with uh, Southern, understandably, his the the ranking, the significant ranking within regional institutions here in uh, in New England, in particular, uh, in terms of the the social mobility thing. I mean, people. Yes. People sharpen their acts and and understand their 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 role in life and understand that they they can empower themselves. Talk a little bit about uh, about that. The uh, Southern's ranking is one of the top twenty five regional institutions. Absolutely, absolutely. CollegeNet they uh, conducted a study and then ranked all the top the schools in the nation on social mobility. What that means is that how do you educate low wealth? I, I call low income, low wealth uh, uh, scholars, and I call our student scholars. Mm -hmm. uh, who may have difficulty, you know, they are first generation and they're low wealth. And how do we prepare them that they can change their lives? And we were ranked 25th out of all the schools in the nation, mm -hmm. social mobility. And why is this important? It's important because the, the discussion debate now is the viability of a college degree. That's right. And so the first time ever, probably uh, in our history, that more Americans believe that uh, a, a, a college degree is not necessary. Some of them probably just because of all the political things, but also we focus on student debt. Mm -hmm. you know, and they use that as an uh, indicator. But what we show at Southern is that it is absolutely essential to have post-secondary credentials, that means after high school. But you also show that the students that arrive here, they graduate and having, what they call it well-paying jobs, but we say careers that matter. Mm -hmm. So it's not jumping from this job to this job, but having a career. And Georgetown University, they conducted a study on, on, on the, 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 like, what matters in terms of financially for uh, degrees. Mm -hmm. They found that a, a, a student, a graduate with a college degree has the potential lifetime career earnings of $2.8 million. And so we extrapolate that to our first year class. We have about 1,227 um, uh, scholars. So we estimate, we project mm -hmm. that this 2023 class will have a career earnings of $3.5 billion. That's significant because most of all students are first generation, 57% of those students, which means that once they graduate, they can shift the trajectory mm -hmm. of their family's life for generations to come. The other piece is that they're low wealth. Yes. So for me, that's what really matters. And it shows that at Southern, but also other institutions, we could talk about that, that college does make a difference in the lives of, of particularly those underserved and under-resourced uh, people. 
Indeed. And I, and I urge folks to kind of just Google your name and just go to, or just go to the YouTube slot and put in Dr. Dwayne Smith and you'll see uh, the, the various comments he's made over historically. And one, I want to give you a chance to kind of uh, repeat that you've been, you've put your, and again, I know we've just met for the first time, but uh, you, you put, so I, sometimes I can talk crassly, you've put your money where your mouth is in terms of uh, social mobility and, and economic up, uplift for for students. I mean, you've invested, you've created some some funds. You talk a little yeah. bit more about your, your your personal. It's not that you're just not just talking to talk, but you've been walking the walk. Oh yeah. So I think one of the things you're, you're speaking of at at Housatonic, we started what we call the equity fund. Yes. Uh, to really burrow down on those um, individuals, uh, those scholars who may need extra resources. Yes. And so uh, we started with a, a ten thousand dollar commitment from me and it has since grown to I believe over half a million dollars. Yes. So my thing is that that's really what matters in the lives of scholars. Mm -hmm. uh, I just remember struggling um, throughout my college years and my mother didn't have anything, you know, and I would like to talk about, some people are not going to Google my story, right? So they kind of, <laughs> well, you know, so we got to talk about it because that's all where right. it is. All right, lift, lift, up, lift up moms, let's go, let's go to the sharecropper and, I, I, and I, explain, they even explain, if you want to go to the sharecropper, fine, I know you want to bring it up, but people, uh, some of our people don't even know what sharecropper, the young people, what sharecropper meant. Well, they need, to, they need to look that part up, but you know, I just okay. talk with this, I talk with this, this individual I won't mention his name because he tells his own story, but he's All very right. successful in the New Haven area. And he was telling his story. He said that he was his family sharecropper. Mm -hmm. And what he said is that, um, and this this person is much younger than my mother. My yeah. mother's story is that they truncated the school year because what Black people did in the South, where most Black people reside, is that they picked cotton. Mm -hmm. And the sharecropping part is that the, the owners were mainly white, they owned the land and the, the black folk, they, whatever they killed, whatever crop that was on there. And then they got money at the end of the year. And it wasn't really a, a, a equitable situation. Mm -hmm. You see these black folks were cheated out of their money. So my, but my point is, is that they didn't have educational opportunities. This, this, this person who I spoke with, he has said that at noon, his family would pick him up and they would pick cotton and tobacco and those sort of things. So we're saying that this, this, and he's really successful. Mm -hmm. So it just wasn't the days of my mother. And some of the stuff still, uh, not to this, this extent, decades ago, it still exists. But the point is, is that my mother believed firmly in the transformative power of education. Mm -hmm. Our lives was transformed. I mean, coming from uh, horrific poverty. To, and to be honest, um, I'm 62 years old. I'm telling my age, right? All right, all right. And all I, was right. Probably, I was probably more... Uh, I spent few of my years in my life in poverty than not, hmm. but it had a significant impact. The trauma of being poor has significant impact in so many different ways. We mm -hmm. can have a different story on that. How hmm. people how people think about themselves, even when they're out of that. Yes. But my point is that because education made such a difference, not only in terms of financial peace, but that came out of a different person. My mm -hmm. freshman, I mean, I, when we were doing this activism, I've claim my space and I talk about it now to claim your space and I did that and not only helped me in terms of just social and economic mobility it just helped me as a black man living in this country mm -hmm. Sh share with folks uh, what you majored in uh, undergrad and then your doctor degree and then I want to ask ask you 
oftentimes people will say they'll look at are you into sports at all like tennis or basketball or any of that kind of in the periphery yeah but, but if i if i said a, a, a famous say people well people know serena and venus were pro protégés but if you look at uh tapes of say uh, nadal or, or roger federer or or carlos alcatraz yeah. now you can find videos of them 11 and 12 excelling i want to ask you in addition to what i guess I asked you the, the tag team two or three times in your life that you didn't get where you are today by accident i want to ask you two or three events in your life that you can recall where where you where a critical decision was made that you think translates to where you are now two or three times in your life where you might have made a decision that relates to enabled you to catapult you to your position where, where you are now. So if you remember all those questions, that's fine. I don't. Sure, sure, sure. sure. And I'm just going to ask the question I'll answer. Right? <laughs> I'm like, you didn't answer my question. Well, that's what I want to tell you. You know, that's what I want to share with you. So I think the one thing I remember a lot is that I really uh, locked up all of my memories of being impoverished. You know, when mm. I was ashamed of it, uh, I was embarrassed by it. And so the best thing I could do is just lock it up and put it away. Then at some point, I said it was okay. I, I, I was able mm -hmm. to drive, but then I had to unpack my childhood to understand my adult life. Mm -hmm. and, and and that's what happens. You know, whenever you go to therapy, whatever you do, people say, let's start off when you was a child. Because mm -hmm. that gives you understanding of you as an adult. So one of the things I used to do, um, uh, I remember early on when we were in this 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 hor horrific home that had all kind of stuff, you know? Mm. I remember getting up in the middle of the night and I would rock. I call it imagining now, visioning. Mm. But I would think of myself being in another space. Mm. It was almost like I was watching a movie mm -hmm. of myself. And, and I remember that importantly because it allowed me to see myself differently. So what happens, you internalize things, you know? People internalize racism. You start believing the things about that people say about you, you know, uh, you can't do this because mm -hmm. of, of who you are. I would say that was the, the thing that helped me along the way because I internalized some things, but most stuff I rejected mm -hmm. because I had an alternate universe. That was the first thing. The other part really was my, my brother was the first Smith in 120 years to, to earn a college degree. Mm. I mean, we trace our lineage back to 1820. He received this degree 150 years later. Mm. And so that set the stage. It wasn't a matter of, will I go to college? I knew I was going to go to college. Now, I wasn't prepared for college. You know, I want to be a psychiatrist. I want to turn change my major to psychology. But here's the thing. I went to a technical school. I went to a regular high school. So during that time period, I'm talking about the 70s. It was like, how do you prepare yourself for the workforce, you know? And so I was taking classes on cashiering, how to be a cashier, mm -hmm. how to be a cashier. Mm -hmm. So one day we would were, we were bag groceries. This is a class. I'm getting great uh -huh. on bag groceries. Put the stuff at the bottom and then how to, you know, this is back in the day. And you probably remember that the cash register, you had to figure out overrate. Like somebody didn't have enough money. The cash register didn't do it for you. You mm -hmm. know, now they do it. Mm -hmm. So I was taking those kind of courses, even though I wanted to go to medical mm -hmm. school. Mm -hmm. And so when I went off to college, it really kicked my butt. But I knew I was going to finish up. I switched to psychology. But one of the things that happened in my freshman year, through all this, this turmoil in the country, mm -hmm. I found my voice. Mm. And I was never the same. Mm. That freshman year, it literally transformed me to a different kind of person. Mm. I was mm. really passive, quiet. I, I shared a story, too. So I remember I worked in a, a, a government office. 
and I have a speech impediment. And if I talk quickly, you can kind of catch it. But I really had it as a teenager. Mm. So I couldn't pronounce the like the FUs. I would say, like funeral, I would say funeral. Mm. And I remember in, the cl- in this office and um, trying to truncate this story, but there was a, a major athlete, J.B. Kane. He played for the St. Louis Cardinals football team. was in St. Louis. Saint, the Cardinals mm-hmm. uh, were in St. Louis. And so he died. It was such a tragic event, and the whole city was mourning. And so his funeral was going to be in my neighborhood, which I lived in the hood, right? So I'm like, so I was excited that this guy's funeral was going to be in my neighborhood. So I go to work, all white office, white supervisor, and I say, JBK funeral is going to be <laughs> in my neighborhood. And my 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 uh, supervisor said, what did you say? She says, say funeral. I said, funeral. She started laughing. No, that's not how you pronounce it. It's funeral. And what I did, because I allowed this to happen, she took me around all these different um, uh, white uh, women at their desk and asked me to say funeral. So she could poke fun at me. Mm. And it wasn't until there was a black secretary there. And she went to the black secretary and said, uh, I said, Diane, you're going to get kind of explained safe funeral. I said, funeral. And the woman gave me like an auntie mama look. Like, if you don't sit down doing that foolishness. At that point, I had a sense of embarrassment. And I wouldn't mm-hmm. say funeral for three years. Mm. Mm. And it was so once I got to college, that stuff would never happen again. Mm-hmm. I mean, I challenge mm. people, but what it is because I just kind of, you can invade my space any kind of way, and I would accept it. And so those are things that made a difference to the person I am today. Mm-hmm. Those are mm-hmm. things, you know, it wasn't the, the degrees, it was experiences. It was the, the you know, the, the being empowered. And I said today, claim your space. I tell the first year student, claim your space. It don't make no difference if people think that you don't belong there, you belong there. And that mm-hmm. was the thing that kind of compelled me to my success. Tremendous, tremendous. Jump and segue because uh, you know I want to ask what makes Southern unique, but yes. in some ways you 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 are making Southern unique. But in ad- in addition to that, what what makes uh, Southern unique from, from your standpoint? Uh, you know, in terms of your legacy and and, and to say the 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 word interim president is there, and who knows what the future might hold? But we're keeping our fingers crossed. But but what yeah. makes Southern unique to, to to you? I would say that. Uh, and Southern is unique before I arrived here. So I'm mm-hmm. not taking any credit. I've just been here yeah. since June, you know. Yes. But I think that that what makes it special and uh, this unique place, and I would say it's often that we're the greatest uh, higher education institution in the state of Connecticut. And we're not great because we have a large endowment because we don't. We're great because of the, the students or scholars that we serve. Mm. We're the most diverse campus. And we, and we provide successful opportunities for these scholars and keep in mind, as I said before, you know, that 63% of our, 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 our scholars are, uh, are students of college, this first mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. And most of them, the first in their families go to college. Mm. So that presents a tremendous opportunity for, for us to change their lives. And the reason why I am humbled to serve as the president of Southern is because I see myself and many of our scholars mm-hmm. trying to make it happen, you know having all these kind of things they work in, you know, and they have responsibilities, but yet they're here. They have the courage to say, I'm going to do better in my life. And then we have um, the faculty and staff that make a difference day in and day out. Mm-hmm. I was talking with someone, I was at a uh, at a board meeting, 
and one of the person said, uh, you know, Southern is great because I came there with my my son. He was going, he was thinking about going to another school. But he came to campus and he said the faculty member spent over an hour with my son. Mm-hmm. Over an hour. This wasn't the missions officer, it was the, it was the faculty member. And I added too, as I guess as part of my ego, I said, and also you can see the president. Mm. They will call and say, can I stop by and say hello to the president? I know being in this role and being in higher education for 40 years, that's unique. Mm-hmm. But also mm-hmm. just the different types of programs, undergraduate research we, we have. You know, we yes. have students doing work that we have been in graduate school to do. We just had we just received a $3.2 million uh grant from the National Science Foundation, a very competitive grant to aggressively recruit, retain, and graduate uh underrepresented. Uh, groups in STEM fields. In the STEM field, absolutely. And that's going to yeah. be transformative. Still, yeah. Yes. And, and you're, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had your, um, the business school ribbon cutting recently. Oh, yes, yes. So we, we just opened a $52 million business school, state-of-the-art facilities. Um, outstanding, um, again, faculty. We just had the uh, first annual Black Entrepreneurship Awards program. Mm-hmm. So we honored entrepreneurs in New Haven region um, at the business school. And so we're doing more of those sort of things, outreach to the community. And, and, last, that. and last year, I believe you had the, uh, I forget the exact name, but it's your, your public health school, the, the uh, Sandy Balmer, I think is the dean. Yeah, Sandy, yes, 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 the dean, Dean Balmer. But you have yes. a, a new building, is you have a, a building that opened up last year. Pristine yes, so so not only we have the state of the art facilities, which is very critical, but we provide uh, the training in social work. We have one of the largest social work programs in the state, and it's a diverse social work program. Our nursing program, uh, we're partnering with Yale to double the number of nurses. You know, we, there's a major shortage for nursing of uh, nurses in the state, and one thing that I was impressed with. Uh, when I went to my first uh, penny ceremony as president, it was diverse. I mean, mm-hmm. in terms of the gender, ethnic diversity. And so that's what makes us uh, this, this strong uh, place. We have um, different arts group that's that's on our campus. You know, St. Louis, not St. Louis, I'm sorry, I'm thinking St. Louis. It, yeah, yeah, New Haven. Mm-hmm. New Haven Symphony Orchestra, mm-hmm. uh, Shakespearean Theater, Long Walk, all those a house, their home is here. That's right. That's right. That's right. Let's take another five minutes because again, with your busy schedule, and I just really appreciate your. Well, well, well Ashley, what's what's on your what's on, what, what can you say publicly? What's on your schedule today? Give people a little feel for the 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 the, the Friday life of, of Dr. Dwayne, Dr. Dwayne Smith. Uh, what's next? Exactly. Who who are you? What movers and shakers are you? Are you shaking? And, well, the first one is you. <laughs> okay, well, uh, uh, admit you. it, admit it, and, and, we, and we, we're kicking you off. So how about in the second half, after you have to well, have time? So I, I meet with our um, our division of, uh, of, of world languages, mm-hmm. um, and I need my schedule, because really, I, my schedule is back-to-back, and so sure, I just kind sure. of look at it and go to my next one. But mainly what you'll see in my schedule is uh, a diversity of people. So I had a major uh, a leader, 
uh, entrepreneur here before this meeting uh, probably have some some meeting with students. You know, I, mm -hmm. I meet with students. Mm -hmm. uh, there's probably some off-campus uh, events. I know this evening uh, the volleyball, women's volleyball, would be uh, playing Good. here at 7 o'clock. And so I spend Friday night. So the, the one positive Good. thing about my experiences now is that I have five kids. And I'm, oh, okay. we're empty nesters. So my last uh, daughter uh, graduated. Now she's a sophomore um, at Xavier in New Orleans. But that mm -hmm. allows me the flexibility uh, to to be out and about. So people Excellent. say, I see you everywhere. Excellent. Well, yeah, yeah, you see me everywhere because that's that's my goal, to be everywhere. Dr. Smith, as, as we wrap up, let's take a deep breath. And I want to draw upon your, your, your interest in psychology. And this, the, the, what I'm trying to spit out, and this thought has been on my mind for a while, that the challenges of, of us, of this human species working together, talking to one another, being transparent, being honest, regardless of the forums or the venues or the so-called meeting agendas, those challenges of just human interactions just have been dominating my mind. I won't get into my particular journey at the moment, but I'm just curious, uh, what do you draw upon to kind of keep you optimistic as you interact with so many different people, people with their own psychology perspectives, people with their own perception of what reality is? Uh, what, what kind of centers you as you kind of navigate this, this journey of creating peace on earth? Yeah, that's a, that is a great question that I uh, grapple with daily. You know, mm -hmm. I'm just, I, I, no one's naturally any kind of way. So I can't say I'm naturally optimistic. But I go back historically, and that's why it's important for us to unpack. I'm talking about individuals, mm -hmm. right? unpack who we are. So I think back in, in those horrific days uh, that I did not give up, because people lose hope as early as kindergarten. You know? mm -hmm. Kids are committing suicide mm -hmm. at a just they're they're right out of diapers, and they just they're hopeless, you know. But during those horrific events, all the different, the bullying and all sort of thing, I just always knew it was going to be better. Mm. And I can pull back on those experiences and say, you know, if I went through that, I could suddenly go through mm. this. Mm -hmm. The other piece is, is always being empathetic. You know, this is one of the things that I was uh, taught as a first-year student in my undergraduate school uh, to kind of look at everyone's perspective. Mm. You know, and that really shifted my my attitude about things, not to have to agree with their perspective, but really understanding the perspective, mm -hmm. see where they're coming from. And this is one I uh, I, I try to, to practice daily is mm. to listen more than to talk. And if you know my my people around here, they say, Dr. Smith can talk. <laughs> but, but in my mind, I say, now be quiet and listen. Mm. Ask questions, you know, ask questions to delve in that when the when the when the when my session is over, whatever meeting, I should know more about that person mm -hmm. than they know about me. Mm -hmm. And I do know about people because I'm interested in people. So that's what keeps my drive going. But I always just say it's a better tomorrow. When I think about my my my, my uh, aunts, my elders, and they'll tell these stories, and these are horrifying stories, but they'll tell them as it's a, a comedy story. So one of the stories my aunt used to tell, she's 91 years old. She's mm. remaining sibling of 10 children. Mm. And she said they were, when they were little kids, they would have to walk to school. We're talking about seven and eight miles of school. Mm. And the white kids, they had buses. 
Mm. And so she would say, when the when the school bus would come, uh, they would have to jump into the ditch because they would have make these paper airplanes, but they would put stick pins in them. Mm. And so when the when the the airplanes will these kids would throw these airplanes out their window. If you didn't get out the way, you would get stuck by these straight. Mm. And they would tell this story, and I'm saying, how were you able to be here now and not be bitter? So what am I going through that's going to talk, cause me to be bitter when you've gone through that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so those are things that that I, I conjure up on a regular basis, you know. So how can I get better? How can I get stronger? How can I encourage? How can I motivate? You know, that's that's what kind of keeps me uh, centered. Excellent. Dr. Smith, thank you. Thank you so much, so much. So much. I won't be stalking you for the rest of the day, but I am going to be stalking you in the future, hope that, in the sense of hoping to have you back back on the show. And, and I'm sure I'll see you around. I've missed your variety of events and your communications people have been really kind to me to kind of reach out and keep me abreast. So I really feel part of your, you know, part of your journey as well. Thank you. And I want to talk more when we talk again, uh, more about, uh, less about me, of course, but I think it's important for the listeners to you know who I am but to talk about the great work. And if I can very quickly say this, if I have sure. a, a 30 seconds. So we have a strategic plan that's out and our priorities this, this year will be for to increase our enrollment, uh, to increase our retention, meaning that students actually come to campus, they stay, persistence meaning that they go throughout those years and at the end of it, that they will graduate. Hmm. Uh, we have an ambitious uh, fundraising goal at some point. Uh, we will launch a, a camp, comprehensive campaign with the goal is to raise $100 million mm. for scholarships uh, to be more assertive with uh, providing scholarships in all areas, whether it be athletics, study abroad, uh, residence halls, our, our students deserve it. And so that's what that's excites me and keeps me optimistic that things Absolutely. will change. Absolutely. I'll be in touch and we'll, we'll get we'll get on your calendar again. This is Thank great. You. Yes, yes, sir. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you. That's it. And really have a, have a great day, great weekend, and, and go Owls, right? Go Owls, that's right. <laughs> there you go. Take care. All right. As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'ma roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions. Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working, open curtains. Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version. Whoa. I'm never gonna give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah. Cause this is my road. You're listening to the Tom Thicklet Show on WNHHLP 103.5 SM, your home for community radio.